Welcome to Experience Matters, a podcast brought to you by Keen. Every episode, we'll discuss a new topic, trend, or insight, and how that affects how people eat, stay, workshop, and play. That was Ted, our story director, and I'm Lou, strategy and insight manager. We'll be joined by marketing pros, interior designers, and master planners from our very own talented team, as well as other leading industry experts to discuss brands inside and out. Hello, welcome back. Another episode of Experience Matters, this time with another special guest, uh, Cynthia Miller. Hello. Hi. Um, who I know from previous uh, collaborations uh, way back when, uh, I think <laughs> maybe do. like 10 years ago or something horrendous. But now, um, you, well, I, I will leave it all to you to introduce yourself. Can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are uh, and what you're all about and uh, all the cool stuff you get into on, on a daily? Yeah. Sure. Well, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to chat with you guys. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Cynthia Miller. I'm the head of innovation at 1111 Media. And 1111 is Paris's next gen global entertainment company. Um, everyone knows who Paris is. We were talking about this in the intro. Uh, everyone knows who Paris is, but not everyone knows that she has this incredible global behind her that is really powering a lot of what she does across content, community, and commerce. Um, she has an incredible array of product lines, and Paris plays in a number of different business verticals, from TV and audio and podcasting to publishing. She has a New York Times bestselling memoir, which was this year. She's in fashion, in lifestyle, in consumer goods, in beauty, fragrance, uh, obviously in the metaverse, in gaming, and so many other things, philanthropy, impact. Um, so I've been with 1111 for about a year, just over a year now. And my remit really is anything that Paris touches across NFTs, Web3, um, avatars, immersive worlds, mm -hmm. metaverse, gaming, all of that fun stuff. Um, and increasingly emerging technologies like AI is really what I lead the charge on and lead initiatives on. And it's a super fun job. And we get to work with someone who genuinely is an OG and a pioneer in yeah. so many of these spaces. So, yeah, it's a little rundown of what I do. Cool. Thanks. We were, we were looking at... Um... Uh, one of the uh, intro vids to uh, Slivingland uh, launching in uh, on, on Roblox, and uh, we we did a previous episode on the appeal of nostalgia, uh, specifically how uh, Gen Z are really into the whole Y two K movement, and just how just that just in that single really short trailer, there was like in the audio there was like a soundtrack, but in the audio they'd sampled the like a dial up modem sound. Uh -huh. Uh, and she holds up a CD and it glitches and stuff. And it's all really dialed in. But it's, it's especially interesting how her aesthetic, obviously, if you're a millennial, it dials back to what you remember. But if you're mm -hmm. Gen Z, I don't know why Gen Z are really hyped about. I guess it's the Y2K. same as our nostalgia with things like vinyl, because that wasn't mm -hmm. in our lifetime. But there's something quite. Yeah. It's just nice. It's interesting. It's novel, I guess. Um, yeah. So oh, I'm so I'm so glad that you saw that trailer because we poured so much love and time into that trailer and it was so much fun to yeah. capture as well. And I remember when I saw um the 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 team that we were working with, the production team, when they sent me the mood board of like 
what they wanted to capture. I think they literally called it a Y2K fever dream, which I was like, yes, that's 100% it. Um, Glitter, modems, dial-up, like the flip phone. I think even in that trailer, I can't remember if it's in that trailer or one of the cutdowns, there's like a blooper moment where she's like flipping the flip phone. It's just absolutely hilarious. And and you're right, you know, that sense of nostalgia is so prevalent across pop culture and fashion. We're seeing it everywhere. But what's really fun, I think, particularly about Paris is that she plays across all those generations, like for elder millennials like us, who obviously grew up with her in The Simple Life, like that is our childhood. But exactly as you said, Louise, like for Gen Z, it's also incredibly relevant to them, though maybe it has a very different emotional resonance. So um, just makes it really fun to play with. I wonder if that's part of the reason why, um, I guess, like some of the millennials or older millennials who might find something like the metaverse web three a little bit um scary a little bit kind of like they're not quite sure and i guess even older as well um than those generations compared to the younger generation that is the world that they've grown up in so actually of yeah living this kind of avatar life online is quite normal for them yeah someone like paris makes it a little bit more accessible and and because she was already in their world already so actually to extend that into a, a digital world might be their foot in the door into that kind of universe. Yeah, totally. I think you're right. We, you know, we we see Paris really as a bridge to the metaverse. And that's not just for like brands and CMOs who are intrigued, metaverse curious. They're intrigued by the space, but they don't really know how to jump in. But also for like a lot of her fans that may not know what this stuff is, but they adore her and they respect her. They see her as a role model. It's like, oh, if Paris is doing it, then this is really cool. If Paris is doing it, I want to know more about it. Wherever Paris is, I want to be. Yeah. So I, I, I think you're right. I think a lot of these spaces can be, um, they can be really alienating. They can be really jarring. They can be really overwhelming. And sometimes you just need to like a little bit of a safe shepherd to guide you through yeah. this space. Also fun shepherd as well, because mm. it's not something that's like overly serious either. So yeah. it's like, actually, I'm just going to go in because like, why not? It's fun. It's Paris. I love her. And just, yeah, I think it's it's not scary if it's actually you just dipping your hand into something that's fun for a little bit. And then actually realize it's it's lots of fun and you go back again. Totally. Like, that's exactly it. I think um, uh, a lot of our a lot of our company values are really centered around imagination and joy. Like yeah. how do we bring imagination to new spaces? Um, and it's it's the Paris brand that's like sliving, which is a portmanteau, <laughs> sliving, playing and living your best life and sparkles and unicorn and fun and feeling like a big kid and not taking yourself too seriously because it feels yeah. like God, so much pain and darkness and all this stuff happening in the world that like sometimes you just need a little bit of an escape and like gaming is that escape and like the metaverse can be that escape but it's i think what's really interesting uh sorry i know i'm jumping around a lot i've had too much caffeine um (laughs) but i think what's really interesting is you look at the research into gen z and why they find roblox so compelling roblox recently released a report around digital fashion it's because it's like it's not just fun and escapism it's also where you form your identity right like our digital identities are now almost just as important as our in real life identities and the way that we walk around the real world 
So like for Gen Z, it's digital fashion. It's why they're spending so much money on Roblox wearables and UGC. Yeah. Um, if you look at the NFT space, like look at what PFPs have blown up in the last couple of years because people see that as an extension of, of their identity. So why wouldn't you do that in these really cool spaces? Yeah, I was only uh, listening to the radio this morning and they were talking about Roblox and the catalog avatar creator kind of like experience um, and it was, I can't remember his name now, but it was a, a guy that was actually in, in Birmingham and had created the app um, or a app that's within Roblox that had had like 1.6 billion visits. And people obviously were spending like real world money on clothing that was not real world clothing. Um, and they were saying that they've got now over like 10 million outfits on there that are available and that that sense of identity and uniqueness and being able to be yourself in that space is is now really possible and I think it it makes sense that you know as much as you can express your yourself in the real world that you should be able to express it in the in your online self as well um and obviously that's mm-hmm. just mean people are parting with their cash in, in just different ways than they used to part with their cash before Totally. And and Roblox is one of the biggest like economies out there. People are putting real money into mm-hmm. this. Um there was a I was I was listening to a panel um with a couple of people from Roblox as well as like fashion editors and UGC designers a couple of days ago. There was an a limited item on Roblox that sold for like over a million Robux, which is equivalent to about ten thousand dollars. Like this item, this monster cat necklace from you know the record label, they partnered with this incredible UGC creator to create a digital item that there is no physical twin. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. exist. Yeah. But the digital item is so scarce and has so much value that people are, you know, the market will um, will tell you how much they think it's worth. And it's worth about $10,000. Yeah, wow. So I think we're seeing a lot of interesting patterns with, um, with Gen Z and those communities and gamers and players valuing digital items just as much as, if not more than, physical items. And there's all sorts of stats of people saying, you know, my avatar's outfits will influence what I buy in the real world. So we're seeing like that influence go the other way as well. The digital identity will shape your physical identity yeah. and what you wear. What a wild time to be alive. Yeah. I guess it's like a testing bed for you, isn't it? It's like actually I put this outfit together digitally. It works really well. Well, now we'll go invest in that physically. And and I guess unless you've bought those items, you won't know whether it works. It's, it's also a little, little test. It's that self-expression as well. It's almost like I can get away with this digitally. Um, so it emboldens me to try it out in the, in the real world too. And I wonder if that kind of has a direct correlation to just wider retail spend as well. We, are you getting more likely to buy other stuff beyond fashion um, because you've kind of tested it totally well there was a stat see if i can bring it up i think i saved it to my desktop but my desktop is an absolute mess um it was from you can't see what's behind you on the oh my god it's yeah it's i'm now like five (laughs) items deep it's really bad um okay here it is uh this is from the recent roblox report that was released like literally about a week ago um once gen z try or wear a popular brand's item on their avatars they're more likely to consider this brand irl so 84 percent of gen z said that they were they are somewhat likely to consider a brand's items irl and 50 percent said they were very or extremely likely to consider a brand irl if they wore that brand's item i think that's super interesting not just for fashion brands but for every other brand that's now playing in roblox like 
once you drive awareness and salience, you know, we're all in the impression game. Once you're top of mind, then they're more likely to see you on the shelf or to seek you out in a store. Um, that's really game changing. I don't think Roblox is, I know they're not yet at the point where we can track conversion directly within the game to sales, yeah. but I don't think we're far off. Yeah, well, I guess it's, it's like quite a lot of uh, kind of customer journey mapping. There's there's going to be so many touch points with a brand that actually is hard to track. Um, and at the moment, obviously, Roblox is, is one of those. But even if they are one of those touch points that has pushed somebody in the right, in the right direction um, towards your brand, then it's, um, I think I saw somewhere that it was um, within a, a digital customer journey now, they need to have had some kind of relationship or some kind of touch point um, seven times before they're likely to convert. Um, so obviously including that will be things like Instagram, even whether that's like sponsored ads before you decide to follow them. And Roblox can become one of those. But if you think about Roblox in itself, you could have multiple occasions on there. Um, so think about how many of those seven touch points could just be within kind of Roblox. One world. Yeah, for sure. I think it's it's interesting thinking about a wider context of retail because I'm a little bit ashamed, but I'm going to say I'm not ashamed to say that when um, kind of Web3 and Metaverse and all these kind of like new words started coming out um, you know, quite a while ago, there was part of me that thought, yeah, I, I understand that for retail. I understand it for entertainment. I understand it for gaming. I, I can see where they will benefit from it. I can see the worlds they create. I can see the opportunities and the experiences that could be unique within those worlds. But quite a lot of our clients are... F&B, hospitality, you know, we do have obviously retail ones as well, but I was thinking about these clients thinking, I don't know what you'd get out of this, this yeah. online world, you know, when, when we talk about F&B, obviously it's, it, it's consuming something real, like you, somebody needs to eat or drink. Um, and the online version of it, I, I struggled at the time to kind of see how it would be that impactful for those brands. And I guess the same for kind of like hotel experiences often is you need to be staying somewhere overnight obviously the physical space does give you the, the space to stay but the digital version of that doesn't give you the place to stay mm-hmm. um so yeah I, I think it'd be interesting to talk to you about how you think those kind of brands can learn from the retail space and how they can bring those um ideas and experiences to them yeah 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 for sure I think there's two things that that, um, I immediately want to unpack and respond to. So let's let's delineate between Web3 and the metaverse, because I know a lot of the time, like even in my own job title, we kind of conflate them all into like Mm -hmm. big, scary world of technology, don't really understand it. Um, But let's separate them. So the first thing you said that was, you know, for a lot of F&B clients, it's about consuming something real. It's a drink, it's a beverage, it's, it's food, it's an experience, you know, socially together. How do you translate that to a virtual world? think about metaverse first um i think that it takes a lot more creativity to go how do we translate this experience or this brand to a virtual space but there's some really interesting examples so um not to go back to paris but um last december she worked with her perfume company parlux to create the world's first metaverse perfume signing and basically what we did was we took her fragrance love rush and we translated it into a virtual experience where 
players went into Roblox. They there was a scavenger hunt for the different you know ingredients that made up that perfume or the different scent notes, and you had to go and find, yeah. you know, um, an orchid flower or vanilla or whatever sure. it was, and then you unlock like this special perfume accessory which has a Paris Hilton fragrance, a Paris Hilton signature on it, and you get to meet Paris's avatar in that world. Well, that is so much more accessible for a lot of people to be able to meet Paris's avatar and have that perfume experience virtually than they ever would, you know, IRL. Um, Look at what Hugo Boss has just done. They've just had a massive launch in Fortnite for their, for perfume. And yes, it's not kind of like exactly how do we replicate um, the perfume experience in Fortnite because Fortnite's a very different gaming ecosystem, but you're looking at brands who are in the beauty or the, or say the fragrance space where it's really difficult to create like a metaverse yeah. sense. So yeah. playing with the principles of what the brand stands for and the brand cues and the visual look and feel. And again, that's about impressions. Mm. Um, I mean, by Rito worked with, I think, Artifact about two years ago to create the world's first like metaverse scent. It was much more like of a marketing stunt, but I think there's some interesting things that you can do. And with like, you know, spatial computing and virtual reality, I think we can have more fun with that. Um, so that's the first thing I would say. I think there's innovative approaches to it, but you're not yeah. going to be able to recreate, you know, drinking something or eating something in the metaverse. It's the maybe. reason that uh, perfume ads are so wild and out there and it's like someone wading into the ocean at midnight and then they look at the moon and, and it's, it's just crazy because you can't compute that uh, to, uh, to a, a sense. So you have to go really out there with what you stand for as a brand. Yeah, and, the and feeling. Like, yeah. Oh, the feeling, the emotion, what it evokes. And I, I think... Um, you're right perfume ads crack me up because they can be really goofy because you're like what are you trying to say there's a great twitter account called uh perfume ads for sale uh mm-hmm. and they just come up with nonsensical riffs uh uh that are all kind of like of a of you read one and you're like yeah okay this is uh this is a perfume ad i get it you can visualize I think, Louise, going back to your second point about like what can retail and hospitality learn from, you know, a lot of brands that are pioneering in the space, how do they use a lot of these technologies? I think this is really where the use case for Web3 and tokenized loyalty programs comes to the fore. So um, I don't know if you saw this article, but Harrods is opening their very first, I think it's like a retail location in Shanghai. There's you know, Gordon Ramsay's going to have like a luxury restaurant there, and they're really going after that, you know, like the Asian market. But what's so interesting is those luxury retailers like Harrods, like Selfridges, are now competing directly with hotels yeah. in a lot of these emerging markets because they know they're going after the same clientele. So I think Harrods is opening like the equivalent of a members-only club where you can go, you can have an amazing time, luxury whiskey tasting or afternoon tea or like fine dining there's personal shopping there's a concierge there's all the luxury experiential touch points that you would expect from harrods but in like a members club setting Mm -hmm. where you would you know instead of going to a hotel lobby for a drink or to have a business meeting you would now go to the harrods club that to me is really really interesting because you're seeing retail and hospitality cross over and i think that hotel brands especially high-end hotel brands have to look at who their competitors are. It's not necessarily other hotel brands, it's Harrods. Like that to me is really, really fascinating. And that's where you then get into the UK use case, I think really of Web3. Like forget about 
the board apes and forget about the monkey jpegs forget about all of huh, that like yeah. fundamentally there's a lot of noise but if you look at um you know what does having a token or having a wallet or what do these web3 technologies allow you to do imagine if you had a retail client or a hospitality client who were to trial a web3 loyalty program essentially yeah. and said hey ted hey louise you're part of this super vip club we're giving you a token you don't have to know about you don't have to know about blockchain technologies the word nft is not even used it's basically just a pass it's a loyalty pass because you have this in your wallet which you don't even know is a wallet yeah. um it means that you get access to certain things um i think it's really just the next evolution of loyalty programs but just done in a really interesting way and that's that's where i see those technologies um being really impactful and really interesting because of what you can do with it i don't know if i articulated that well at all but that, that makes sense yeah, makes yeah. sense i also think it from a from our clients' point of views and the, the kind of marketing teams that we work with, loyalty programs are something that is already in their world. Yeah. So to stretch that into a digital space doesn't feel so far removed from what they're already doing or if they don't have a loyalty program already that you know, they're, they're aware of them at least. You're not asking them to do something that is so wild or so different that they just can't imagine themselves doing it. Um, we was just showing them how that same approach in terms of rewarding for loyalty, growing a um, a community, they're, they're doing all that or should be doing yeah. all that already. So it's not that wild. I think um, when you think about uh, specifically thinking about uh, things like cafes, uh, so like Pret or Starbucks or Costa, anywhere who like a coffee place where you get a stamp for every coffee you buy. We talk a lot about what can uh what can you get digitally that will translate um physically but you can probably flip it as well so if say um during the week you've you've got you get a coffee a day and you by the end of the week you've had you've had five stamps if that correlates to something that you then get digitally that you can access online there's a lot to be said for that i think yeah like rewarding you for the IRL experience yeah, uh, which would encourage that custom a hundred percent, but also so many loyalty programs are predicated on how much you spend. Yeah. You know, to your to your point of the coffee chain, for every nine coffees you buy, your tenth one comes free. It's purely about what you're spending. Yeah. Um, I think Delta Airlines is in a lot of hot water, got a lot of not hot water, they got a lot of backlash from their super loyal frequent flyers because they've shifted how you can earn perks and points to basically just how much you spend with them, not how far you fly, which obviously for a frequent flyer is like, <gasps> you'd be aghast. Yeah. Um, but I think what's really, what's really fascinating to me is how um, retailers, CMOs, brands are really rethinking loyalty to be not just how much you spend, but like how much you interact Look at the example of Starbucks Odyssey, which is like the Web3 um, Starbucks loyalty program built on Polygon. I think it launched about a year ago. Starbucks Rewards is one of the most successful loyalty programs out there. Like the most successful. I think if you compared it to a bank, it'd be bigger yeah. than some of the, like some banks in America combined because of how much money is is with Starbucks Rewards. Um there was no need for them to launch a Web3 loyalty program, and yet they did. And it's been unbelievably successful. 
And if you look at the way that they, they've approached their loyalty program, they really have gamified it. So you can earn stamps and rewards and access to digital experiences, not just based on how much you buy, but how much you engage. Like, mm. have you done this quiz? Have you gone on this digital journey? Have you, yes, bought a coffee? Have you done these different activities? But it's realizing that in order to build a, a fan base and a, and a really deep engaged community, you have to meet them where they are. And you have to incentivize activities that are more than just how much have you spent with us. Yeah. Um, there was a big article in Glossy about two or three weeks ago that Sephora is doing exactly the same thing. They've in- introduced gamification to their loyalty program where it's like, you know, do this shade finder for your foundation or for your lipstick. And if you do that, then we will reward you in our loyalty program. And they've constructed it such that it's much more about how much you engage. And I think in that sense, you're building um, a, a small cohort of super fans who are continually coming back and being sticky and engaging with your brand, even if they're not big spenders. Yeah. I think it's a really good way of making a, a bigger community um, and making it more accessible. Because if it's based on spend, then you're limited to those that have got that disposable income that can regularly mm-hmm. be spending their money. Whereas we've seen it quite a lot with uh, luxury brands and creating things like cafes. So um, like Ralph's, for example, is a perfect example mm-hmm. where your only experience with that brand might be a, a cup of coffee because actually you can't afford their product. And I feel like this is, is in that same world where it's, you know, you may be able to interact and engage and be a frequent partaker of events in the digital space, but you might not be able to buy their product regularly. And so it kind of has that widening of the community. Absolutely. Like if you go to the Harrods in London um, and if you pop into the Prada Cafe, like it is the most beautiful cafe you will ever, it's mint green, it's gorgeous. There's always a queue outside. Um, And yeah, okay. I spent far too much on like a single mint green macaroon, but (laughs) it was part of the Prada experience. Um, And you feel like you can connect with that. I think again, you know, not to go back to virtual worlds and gaming and metaverse, but I think the reason that high-end fashion brands and luxury fashion brands were some of the very first to jump into this space, like Burberry was working on the Web3 game called Blancos in like 2021. Um, LVMH was doing stuff in this space, Hugo Boss, like all of the Gucci, great example of being an early an early mover and a pioneer. I think luxury fashion houses were playing in this space way before anyone else because they know that they need to future-proof their customer base. Like yeah. where are the big spenders of tomorrow spending their time it's in gaming so of course we want to expand our touch points and play with our brand and in different ways to engage them where they are i think it might be worth us doing a bit of a wrap-up of what we think is the i don't want to put a number on it but the key takeouts that I guess the the wider world can learn from what these brands have done successfully. Mm-hmm. Do's or don'ts, I guess. Hey, do do this. Don't do, do this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, should I rattle some off yeah. and then you guys can riff? Sure. Yeah. Let's do that. Let's do that. <laughs> um, I think for hospitality brands, do look at how visionary brands are approaching loyalty programs, how they're rethinking loyalty programs. So do look at Web3 technologies, 
Lufthansa and Etihad are already playing in the Web3 loyalty space, like huge airline companies. Um, don't rush. Mm, yeah. Things live forever on the blockchain. And if you are serious about future-proofing your customer base and you're serious about innovating your loyalty strategy, do it properly. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I feel like that was seven do's and don'ts built into one. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, for experiential brands, do look at things like Roblox and Fortnite. I firmly believe that that's where the future of entertainment and content and community is. Like, do take your time to do the research. Do, like you guys do this when you do focus groups and design thinking and you're really empathetic speaking with users and customers. Do ask your customers where they're spending time. And it's not just in cafes or hotels or bars or restaurants. It's also like, where are you socializing? What mediums are you spending time on? Where are your kids spending time on? Um, and yeah, do, do, do your research. I think it's a really interesting one, actually, because I think a lot of the time when we look at where people are spending their time um, and when we're given I guess, insights from um, our clients and their customers and when they're spending their time, a lot of it is things like Instagram, Facebook, obviously Facebook going yeah. right down, Twitter, Snapchat. It, it's all the social channels is, I guess, where their heads are at at the moment in terms of where they're spending their time. But you're absolutely right that things like gaming and entertainment actually should be considered as opportunities to connect with them because if they're spending their time there and a large chunk of it then you might as well meet them where they are Mm. and actually to your point louise um a lot of younger consumers customers are spending much more time on gaming than they are even on tv like the numbers speak for themselves i think i heard you in a in a different podcast talk about how their communities so as much as we talk about kind of you know instagram communities and stuff like that really because of the way gaming allows you to interact with each other it feels a lot more like real world community building and socializing than maybe it's given credit 100 i think you're absolutely right i think you know i don't know if anyone from roblox will hear this but i think even roblox would push back on labeling themselves a metaverse i think they would call themselves a social gaming platform you know and um I was I was chatting with someone on their team who was saying that their their young daughter, like after school, hops onto Roblox with her friends, and she, she hops into Adopt Me, which is like one of the biggest games on yeah. the platform. And her and her friends use that game to play hide and seek or use it to chat. They're not actually playing the game. They're not invested in the game loop. Mm-hmm. They're just using that virtual environment as a space to like hang out, socialize, and again play hide and seek, which is such an interesting user behavior. So I think we're seeing a lot of um, a lot more experiences really built around the social gaming aspect of it. And that's yeah. why, you know, social media and gaming, I don't think are, are going to become um, two totally separate things. I think more and more we're going to see a convergence or even like these two things colliding where gaming is social media and yeah. engaging in a game becomes the content. So this is really, you know, the future of of, again, of content. Um, and to your point, if you're a brand thinking about where do my customers spend the most time, 
it's not just social media. No. Um, I point to an example of huge retailer Claire's, you know, the mall brand that we all grew up with yep. wearing their hair accessories and their barrettes and their clips. Um, they're doing some really interesting things with their IP. Not only have they got into Roblox, but they've also just done a huge deal with Sony Pictures to launch an immersive TV series and really go big into shoppable content for kids and kids programming. If you were just looking at that from the outside, it would seem like a really odd move. Like, why yeah. is Claire's doing a deal with Sony around content? Because that's where they know that kids are spending their time, like on YouTube Shorts and on TikTok. So why wouldn't you serve up Claire's branded programming again to create another touch point? It's interesting with Claire's because I feel like even, maybe not even as long as 10 years ago, maybe even more recent than that, started seeing them like closing down like they were they were not relevant anymore they felt like um I guess a, a legacy a, brand yeah like an accessory and jewelry shop that was around for millennials and it, it wasn't translating very well um whereas it does feel like they are relevant again now so it, it shows that um I guess by tapping into those different media streams that aren't just the social media is a way for you to make sure that you stay relevant you stay um, competitive for for that younger market as well, rather than losing it. It's really interesting to look at just just in terms of like what's popular. So obviously you've got um, iconic celebrities uh, of different eras like Paris, like like Snoop Dogg, um, and the, we're seeing them come in as uh, business owners and CEOs not just public figures from from a time but then at the same time if you look at um like mainstream media things like cinema um mm-hmm. the hit movies are sonic the hedgehog and super mm-hmm. mario and mm-hmm. barbie and they're all like con- consumer products from an age that are now uh you know movies that we're watching it's that kind of cross-contamination of what was into like current and I, I do feel a little bit like because of the hype around the Barbie movie um and the way it was specifically the way it was marketed I feel like a lot of there was obviously there's a separate awakening for for the Barbie movie that was all based around Kennedy and um, you know that whole movement which is a separate cultural shift but there's also just I think for marketers especially they looked at all the work that was being done for um barbie uh to promote the movie and then obviously the direct correlation we all know barbie as a toy that people bought Mm -hmm. and that people were invested in so i think to see that get so much attention as a a movie i think it's just i think it's just flicked a little switch in people's brains to go like oh we can yeah we can market stuff we can sell stuff differently Mm -hmm. and i wonder if that will cause a you know a real give a real boost to um both web3 and metaverse uh, mm-hmm. executions of of brands in a similar space like claire's for example of going like oh hey you know what we're we we've been selling stuff for a long time but actually if we change tack and we start thinking about our kind of virtual uh, just our ip uh, like mm-hmm. how well we're known i think you've hit the nail on the head i think the massive shift is from selling product to being in the IP business. Yeah. Like if you look at the Barbie playbook, um, yeah, I mean, the movie itself is phenomenal and the soundtrack was glorious. Um, and the 
the pop culture impact it's had is enormous mm. but the thing that i feel like every single marketer really sat up and took note of was the co-marketing strategy now that would have been in the works for a couple like years absolutely years but how many ip co-marketing collaborations did mattel and barbie have i swear it was like over 50. Mm. everything from rollerblades to ice cream to oh, yeah. most unexpected things i think obviously not everyone has the marketing budget of mattel cool get it yeah but I think it's really going, you know, what does the Barbie IP stand for? Um, how do we want to be known? And what are all of the million touch points that we could really reimagine with unexpected brand collaborations in order to get into the shelves and homes and hands of consumers? That to me, I think you're totally right. And if you look at those examples that you mentioned earlier of like Marvel, but more specifically, like Super Mario Brothers mm -hmm. um, and even Sonic the Hedgehog, those IP plays are so clever. You've gone from gaming to cinema to, I think Sonic is one of the top ranked branded experiences on Roblox. They're yeah. going, what are all the different ways that people are engaging and loving RP? You've got people who've grown up with us and people who are discovering us for the same, for the first time. And that brand and that IP can expand in so many different ways. So. I think a lot of brands, the savvy ones, are thinking about licensing, brand expansion, um, content in totally different ways. And what I think, particularly gaming technologies and UGC technologies, whether it's Roblox, UEFN, or even AI, are starting to do is, I think, open marketers' minds to the idea that, like, maybe we don't have to be so protective over our IP. Yeah. Maybe if you like loosen the boundaries of the brand guidelines a little bit and invite communities in or invite fans in or invite other brands in, what you co-create together, what you remix together might be a lot stronger. Um, there's a strategist in the space called Zoe Skamen, who I adore and respect, and she's light years ahead of anyone else um, in the way that she's thinking about this, but she has a whole thesis around the multiplayer brand. And she's saying basically like the use of AI technologies and you know gaming co-creation UGC is allowing brands to basically become multiplayer brands where people can yeah. remix and collaborate. And that is creating a totally different playbook for brand strategy like ted even think about like a decade ago when we were building brands together how rigid those brand guidelines were they were like 80 yeah. page brand documents where it was like you have to use this shade of yellow and if it's ochre then it's totally off and you'll get a, a call from the account director berating you for doing this but like I think brands are probably going to have to be a little bit more fluid. And I think particularly when it comes to IP, that's, that can be really scary. Yeah. You know, that can be really scary. I think it was Zoe uh, that shared on LinkedIn. I saw it the other day, but it, it relates exactly to what you're talking about, which is um, Coca-Cola's new um, Christmas mm -hmm. campaign where they're, they're, you can create your own AI Christmas cards, but with their IP, it's, it's, it's mm -hmm. exactly that of collaborating putting the power in the, the user's hands and then allowing them to kind of create something new using your IP that will, mm -hmm. I wonder how people will try and break it. That, that'll be mm. interesting. Of course. Um, that's, that's the nature of it. But the fact that a brand like Coca-Cola is not afraid to put that out there and see what they do mm -hmm. with it, I think is, uh, is interesting in, in itself. Absolutely.
you touched on something earlier as well. You mentioned brand collaboration, and I obviously what we're talking about here, and specifically with um, with an eye on IP, the larger brands are obviously better primed right now. They've they've got the budget, they've got the the backing, and they've got the recognition to be able to create brand strength already. Yeah, exactly. Or you you were talking about brand architecture the other day, and this is just another extension of that. And if you've got if you've got all that established then it's easier to step into that space. But I do wonder if there's an opportunity for smaller brands through collaboration with larger known IPs. And I guess kind of flipping it. So if we're talking about existing IPs that have come from gaming like Sonic, like Super Mario, and then you look at uh, someone like Paris, uh, who's kind of flipping it the other way. So she's a, she's a known figure who's come from TV and media and she's going back the other way toward gaming uh it's it's, i I like that there's a we're kind of meeting in the middle with all this stuff um but i wonder if you know there's an opportunity for brand collaboration for for smaller brands to kind of get their foot in the door through collaboration with public figures more so to kind of create new experiences Uh, yes absolutely i think it's possible i think it might be a little bit harder for smaller brands unless there's a really interesting values alignment or unless there's a really interesting um community crossover or cross-pollination um obviously my mind has now gone and completely blank trying to think of examples but i guess on a a slightly local level to us something like pinko and brewdog brewdog being the big brand pinko being the more they are international but they are on a much smaller scale um shows how to your point is the aligning of values and and they have kind of like the same brand storytelling and uh, kind of i guess ethos yeah um, yeah and the same mentality in their customer kind of groups that they probably are the type of people that would be buying from both of them anyway already. yeah yeah um, true. so i think you're right on that it's tapping into kind of the shared mindsets and values yeah and also understanding like if we were to do a limited collaboration like why are we doing it and how does yeah. it benefit both brands um so for the larger brand maybe it might be about being positioned as pioneers or innovators whereas obviously for the smaller brand that's doing the collaboration it's much more about like reach yeah. and impressions and and kind of tapping that larger brand's community um for awareness so yeah absolutely I've got one last thing. Yeah. Okay. Can we just go really out there with ideas? Basically. I don't, I don't know why you're asking me for, for permission. This is your podcast. <laughs> Let's go. So I was thinking about specifically going going all the way back to like hard F&B experiences. So the, the very nature of eating food and as much as, you know, you can, uh, you can, you can catch a fish and cook it and eat it in Minecraft. Um, it's not, it's not the same digitally eating. Um, Still going to be hungry. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, it's just the, the view of food through media, I think, is is interesting. You've got things like there's a huge love for uh, anime depictions of food, uh, mm-hmm. specifically Studio yeah. Ghibli stuff, but also yeah. there are some uh, great other animes like Food Wars and stuff that just show food looking incredible. But again, so there's, there's kind of, with that in mind... But then also there's the rise of dark kitchens and um, the kind of uh, food delivery space where 
actually there are a bunch of places that exist now where you can order food and you can't go to experience it in real life. You can't go to a restaurant or anything like that. So I was thinking... Bring the two together. Bring the two together. You're, you're playing online for a length of time and maybe you're with friends. Uh, the opportunity to then order digitally and then have it delivered to your house. But like, yeah. so you can have a, like a pizza party, but in real life and also digitally. Do you, does oh anything God. like that exist? Is that a thing? Have you oh, heard about it? it? Uh, I haven't heard of it but i am totally here for it like imagine <laughs> a studio ghibli imagine like a, a spirited away yeah. virtual world where you could go in and you're in a japanese onsen and you're in that beautiful town and then it's like based on your engagement in that game or how long you stay there or how often you come back you get the ability to you know order that specific yeah. incredible bowl of ramen i think I think as an experience, that feels wonderful. Like how immersed you are in that. And then for that bowl of ramen or whatever to actually show up in real life. Yeah. 100%. I think what's most interesting to me is the technology that links those experiences that makes that possible. Yeah. And I think with the way that a lot of gaming platforms are going, they're no longer just walled gardens. And there's startups that are um, being built right now to connect those worlds together. Yeah. That becomes really interesting. So like in two years time, you could, again, going back to my like Studio Ghibli imaginary dream world but, uh, where you're I'm in this totally space in VR or yeah. on your phone or whatever, and it links to like actual experiences that you could have. That sounds magical. I want to live there. It's not a stretch for, from like, you know, when you go to like a cinema and they do like a, a cocktail or they even do yeah. a menu tied to yeah. the movie. It's not far from that. Totally. Or the, um, the Grinch Cafe yeah. in Primark where it's uh, yeah. green milkshakes and all that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, it's not a reach in terms of creating the food experiences. It's the technology, as you said, if it's only two years away or maybe even less we'll, mm -hmm. I guess we'll find out then that's what makes it possible yeah if I was like Deliveroo I would be looking into this kind of thing right totally. now because they seem really primed to be the link to real world stuff because you could you could have a dark kitchen that does uh, like do something like uh themed pizzas or themed burgers mm -hmm. where it's not difficult to add something on top to make it a theme thing so you could operate it out you could have like a dark kitchen kitchen that functions as like okay they serve smash burgers and that's their whole thing mm -hmm. and then you link up with uh, an experience via roblox uh, an existing brand and they want uh, they they have a sp specific theme and all you do is you just uh you allow them like uh, okay uh, let's say it's spongebob or something like that like can you sell mm -hmm. the krabby patty virtually mm -hmm via via delivery and then have that delivered that doesn't feel a million miles away from something impossible. that yeah. someone could do right now i think you could prototype that tomorrow yeah like you honestly could because all you're talking about is stacking uh like stacking different layers of of experiences right you've got the theme you've got the actual content then yeah. you've got the food like i swear 15 years ago i went to um a showing of jurassic park at the electric in birmingham yep. mm -hmm. and it was like you could have a dinosaur themed cocktail and it's, it's yep. just part of the experience but to your point ted the additional layer that someone like Deliveroo could do is they have the infrastructure of dark chick dark dark chickens dark <laughs> kitchens in order to do that yeah but think about it from the point of view of like 
of a hotel or a hospitality experience who has the infrastructure of bars, restaurants, catering, et cetera, and you've got the space, like you could, you could stack all of those layers of experiences on really, really easily. And um, yeah, absolutely start experimenting. I love that idea. So I guess the final question is how do the three of us get hired <laughs> to execute on this fantastic, uh, innovative <laughs> Well, it concept? sounds like you're already speaking to all the best <laughs> F&B brands and hospitality players in this space. So I don't, yeah, I, honestly, I think it'll happen much quicker than, yeah. uh, than in the next five years. I think it's happening now. Well, I'm going to get on Roblox and uh, order myself a pizza tonight. <laughs> Yeah. I'm going to see so, if I start building my pizza place in Roblox and make so it So you joke, but one of like one of the, oh, I'm trying to see if I can find this. There was a comment. Hang on, give me 2 seconds cuz mm-hmm. I'm trying to Okay, so there was a comment um on one of Paris's TikToks when she was posting about Slivingland. And it so some of her Slivingland TikTok had like the most it was the most engaged TikTok of 2023. Unbelievable kind of fan buzz. One of the comments under it was, imagine playing work at a pizza place with Paris Hilton. I would go into cardiac arrest. Mm. So there's a Roblox game the called work at, Yeah, there's a game called Work at a Pizza Place where you it's like a it's like a domino sim. Yeah, it's like I, a I know sim what you mean. Game. Like you get you the do dough and you put like, the toppings yeah, on. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm surprised that like Papa John's or Pizza Hut or something hasn't gone. Let's hang on it. a second. There's a huge community of people who are literally engaging with pizza yep. for hours every single day. This makes total sense. Let's do something. Yeah. Well, maybe they will. Make it happen. We'll yeah, send. We'll send the podcast out to everyone, and then do it. Yeah. 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 Like <laughs> this is your time. Yeah. Do this it. is it. Cool. Well, I think that that about wraps up our our time. Um, thank you so much. Yeah. It's uh, you're the kind of guest we could have on uh, over and over again. I don't think we would run out of stuff to talk about. It's the same again next week then, yeah? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for inviting me. This has been so much fun and a joy to see you both. Um, And yeah, this is this was great. Um, thanks guys people find you on linkedin twitter do find you exist me anywhere on else? twitter yeah find me on twitter and linkedin i probably chat most on linkedin about all this stuff web3 gaming metaverse entertainment ip paris what she's up to so yeah find me on linkedin and if anyone wants to chat let's do it great perfect thanks so much Thank you. thanks guys bye wow that was good, wasn't it? <laughs> it? Was we talked about everything, and we talked about a load of stuff we've already talked about. Yeah, there's a lot of crossover, which is interesting. I think just in terms of big trends out there, yeah, um, affecting things in the physical and digital world. Yeah, well, with that in mind, um, if you want to tap into any of the stuff we mentioned, we've got previous episodes on nostalgia and Barbie and Barbie. Um, we've written articles i say we you've written articles <laughs> about uh brand architecture and the we briefly spoke about um the kind of luxury retail brands going into f&b yes. um and there's a, a whole host of examples of really great ones that are doing that at the moment 
So yeah, go go and follow us uh, on uh, LinkedIn if you don't already. Uh, you can also find us at thisiskeen.com um, with links to all of our articles on the website as well as case studies. And go and uh, get on Roblox. Go see what it's about. Even if um, you feel like it's, it's, you're not ready for it yet, at least find out what your kids are up to and what they're playing. Check out Slivingland. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.